All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast brought to you by our friends over at X2 Power. As always, uh, yeah, boy, I got boy, up there. The, there you the go. Backhands, yeah. <laughs> like we can just gun show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's always the hardest thing. But folks, as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, buddy? Oh, just another day in Buffalo. Just uh, actually had the day off like, today. It's like jail. It, it kind of is, right? Like it it's either it's either too calm on Lake Erie or there's six footers. There's like no in between where where we're at on the lake. So like <laughs> I um, I moved a guide trip from today to I don't know when we'll reschedule it, but like the forecast was one to threes building to four to sixes, and I'm like, yeah, we don't want to be out in that. So like right around two o'clock, it shifted, I guess, and got real big and probably could have got the guide trip in. But safety before money is the way I look at it. I'd rather be safe than sorry. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could get your five hundred dollars for the day and everyone else is swimming to shore. Yeah, exactly. Not worth it. (laughs) I'd rather have a pleasurable experience while we're jacking giant smallies than, uh, we're all holding on for dear life in my little bass boat playing Gilligan. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, on my on my trip to Sturgeon Bay last week, Pete Glusick was telling me uh he's like he was on Erie at one point. I think he was fishing at Costa or something. Uh but back like twenty years ago and they were in almost ten footers and he was talking about how you'd have to like you basically to fish, he was on his knees, him and his co angler on their knees, like in the boat you couldn't stand because it was just that bad. I couldn't, he's like, yeah, I can't believe they send us out. And I'm like, I couldn't believe you went out. Like, <laughs> Well, there was a, a Northern Open that Derek Remitz almost won out of Sandusky a few years ago. And uh, you can find the photos from it on, like, Bassmaster.com if you dig hard enough. And you can see, like, pictures of, like, guys fishing near each other. And all you see is, like, their heads in water and yeah. smallmouth, like, jumping above them. Yeah. So, like, it's like... Co-anglers, yeah. like, raising their nets up here yeah. to, like... Yeah, like it's like you're jellyfishing from SpongeBob, where they're like running. <laughs> no thanks. I've been out there and fished in tournaments and like that. It is not fun. No, thank you. But they eat. I'll tell you that they eat when it's like that. I bet it does. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, Speaking, real quick, can you hear my fan? No, no. Okay, perfect. Because it is hot as heck. I, I say that, but our guest today told us it's over 90 degrees where he's at. So I guess I shouldn't complain, but also a little bit of heat. And my northern self, you know, you know me. I get a little cranky when it's uh, when it's hot up here. I like when we have our our fifty degrees sweatshirt weather, you know, a little bit of chop on the water. But uh, we have a fun episode here tonight, Andy. We have a yeah. fun episode with uh, Josh Stracer, Bassmaster Elite Series Pro. We're gonna get him on here in a second, but we're gonna be talking about, you know, for folks that are wanting to go pro. You know, we, we talked a little bit offline with Josh on you know, the importance of being versatile, not just in techniques and patterns, but like also understanding how that can change regionally. And you're going to have to learn that eventually if you want to go to the elite series level, but then also how he's adjusting to that elite series level. I mean, you got rookie of the year. So I say he's adjusting pretty dang good, uh, but we're going to get him on here in a second. But uh, we got a couple questions here really fast. We got David from Angler's channel in the chat. Were the fish still on beds where you were at Bailey? Uh, I think he's talking about Sturgeon Bay. And yes, they were all spotting. <laughs> and yes, they are on beds here still in some of our lakes <laughs> yeah. in New York. So that is for sure. All right. I think without further ado, Andy, we get our guest down here. 
Mr. Yeah. Josh Tracer. So guys, what's going on, dude? Good How evening, man. Good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a little, little warm down here where I'm at, but uh, I'm doing all right. You can keep you it. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got that AC cranked? How's it to go? <laughs> is that, that's probably the biggest bill for you guys in the South is just air conditioning. Yeah, it, it gets pretty bad sometimes, uh, especially when the humidity's high like like it is right now. 100% humidity of air conditioning. I, I I give a lot of props to like when I go south and I see you know either guys that do construction on the roads or guys that are building houses stuff and they're like I'm sitting there just walking from my truck to the house and I'm dying like I don't know how those boys do it I beyond me but uh, that is not what we're talking about tonight we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about bass fishing and before we get too deep into the show kind of tell us you know where you got your start in the first place like what where did you get Where'd you catch your first bass? You know, who got you involved in bass fishing from the start to obviously be where you're at now? You know, it's got to, you know, it'll be my dad. You know, uh, when he started carrying me fishing when I was probably six or seven years old, you know, and uh, we actually, I think we started fishing tournaments like when I was about 10 years old, you know, fishing team tournaments here locally on the Coosa River, mainly Logan Martin Lake. And uh, that's where I caught my first first bass is on is on Logan Martin Lake, and uh, that's kind of how that's kind of what got me started, you know. And uh, I quit, quit fishing for a while, uh, probably when I was in my early early to late teens. I didn't I didn't fish much. I had, I was doing a little bit of everything but fishing. But uh, I didn't really get back into it heavily until I was probably in my mid twenties, uh, kind of when I started fishing uh, like the BFL kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what used to be called the weekend series and uh, fishing some bigger, bigger team trails here locally. And that's kind of how I got my, how I got my start. So with that break, I mean, what was it? You're chasing like a sport dream or something like that? No, nah, not really. I got into racing motorcycles for a while. And uh, just, I, I just, I don't know. I just kind of got out of fishing there for, for probably five, six, seven or eight years. Uh, I still fish some, but uh, I wasn't real competitive with it. I just fun fish buddies, hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, I really it, it well after high school before I ever really <clears throat> started really pursuing uh, bigger bigger tournament trails like the BF. I, I I think I started fishing the BFLs in uh, maybe twenty ten, and uh, that's kind of kind of where I started to get to get to where I'm at now, you know. So, are we talking like full blown motocross that you're into, like? The now, Shyac boys were into? No, I, I never got into the motocross. We actually, we did uh, enduro racing. Uh, hair oh, racing. fun. We, oh, uh, we, crap. We raced <laughs> woods. So, uh, and we, we traveled around a little bit. We went to Texas one time, Arkansas, Florida, North Carolina, uh, following these uh, enduro type races. It, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I, I kind of wish I could still, still do it, to be honest. So, did that kind of passion go into the boat world where you know look out for josh at takeoff because he's going to pass you or <laughs> no nah, i think just, just being competitive i've been competitive all my life you know no matter what it is uh where, where, even if it's at work i've always worked construction you know and i've always wanted to do a little bit more a little bit better than you know everybody else that day you know so it's it's just i guess just the competitive blood in me that Whatever I'm doing, whether it's fishing or motorcycles or whatever, I just want to—I want to beat you. <laughs> yeah. Hot foot to the floor, 
<laughs> that's all, yeah. all we can say about that. <laughs> but hey, that's a good trait to have, though. I mean, like some people say over there's like such a thing of over competitiveness, but I call BS on that because like the most successful people you find are the people that are like insanely competitive that they can't help it but be competitive. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. And like fishing, you know, it, <clears throat> I still like, especially when, when it's hot out like this right here, it's, 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 it's hard for me. Oh. oh gosh, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> he ghosted. No, no. I think we're just having some technical difficulties. But uh, he's like, "Oh dang, they're talking like my past here. We gotta, we gotta get out of here." <laughs> and, and he's back. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> Was that? <weird? laughs> we lost you for a second. I don't know what happened, but uh, oh no, it's all good. Keep going. <laughs> but uh, I, I forgot what I was saying. But it's like it's. The competitive part is really what drives me. It's like when it's hot like it is here right now, it, and I don't have any tournaments coming up. It's just hard to go out there and just fun fish, you know. If I had a tournament to practice for in a couple of days or something, I'd, I'd be, you know, a lot, a lot more willing to go out there and get after it and fish all day, you know. So it's, you know, it's just the competitive part of it is, is, is what I like about it. Heck, yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of – you said you mentioned you got back into it, you know, late teens, probably what, early 20s, something like that. Yeah, early 20s. And uh, I think what I. What sparked that? I, I wound up, I think when I was 22, I bought my first boat, my first okay. bass. And uh, it really didn't, even then, I, I still just fun fish, get out there and ride around with buddies, you know, and fish for a few hours and afternoons and uh but uh really i i don't know what made me do it but uh i, I got interested in fishing the the, the bfls and the, the bass weekend series what they were called at the time so i signed up for those i think in 2010 and i fished that uh that whole season and uh, i really didn't really didn't do all that good and uh i think the next year i fished him i won the anger of the year and that kind of uh kind of gave me the motivations like man i i I like to go you know do this for a while and uh went to some of the regionals and uh, kind of experienced see what it was like and and i didn't even really start keeping up with bass masters you know as far as the the pro trails and everything i it it was i was probably a couple of years into it before i even started paying attention to what what's going on out there you know and like me you know i was a i'm 38 now and i was a rookie last year i'm a i'm an old guy you know, to be just not getting into it. So these I guys never thought that. I, I always thought you were like maybe late twenties. No, far from it. <laughs> hey, there's you know what they say. It's better late than never. Yeah, yeah. It's really right. not even that late. I feel like the average rookie class of in bass fishing is just getting. I mean, I say that, and then there's like KJ Queen, who is like maybe 22 last year, but yeah, still. I, I mean, there's not really like a bad age. I feel like to get into bass fishing no never you know just the fields these guys are getting younger and younger you know and like i hear i remember reading an article in bass masters about uh on average like your some of these guys some of the bigger name pros um like it seems like they were in their prime around their around 40 years old and Mm. and that you know that was six or seven years ago when i when i was reading that and I think that's slowly getting younger and younger. You know, these guys are like maybe 30, 35 to 45 is, is kind of 
in their prime, but every year it seems like it's getting younger and younger. These guys coming out of college, fishing opens and qualifying, and you know they're in their mid twenties, so they got ten more years just to travel around and practice and fish all over the country before they really in, technically in, in their prime, you know. So, right, it's it, the sport's changing for sure. Did you qualify through the opens? I did. How, do you think that's becoming harder and harder to qualify? Just seeing the the level of the opens increase. I think so. You got you know. I think that from what I've heard that like this past year there was over a hundred people on the waiting list to get in. So you got yeah. a full field in, in every tournament. Yeah. yeah, that's tough as heck. But yeah, I dude, I, I can speak to uh, minutely, but I could speak to your drive and I, we could probably attribute it back to your competitiveness because uh, it was two years ago now, I think uh, back when you guys are on fork, I think it was your rookie year. Um, you guys went to fork your rookie year, right? Right. Last year. Yeah. So I actually remember seeing you out there and we, I was there pre-practicing with uh, Destin and Marion. I got cleared by bass to go down there and cause I was doing media for him at the time. And I remember sitting there, we were, t- I remember seeing your boat. I look over, I'm like, I see the big reaction innovation sticker. And I was like, is that Matt Heron? Like <laughs> me and me and Des were trying to figure out who it was. But then we're like, Oh, that's that Strasner. And it was like, it was like you, Destin. I think uh, Takuido was there too, but I mean, you were, you were out longer than, than we were every day. So I contribute that to your, your hard work. But my, my question and why I bring that up is, is like, is that still now, you know, you've got rookie of the year, you've had some pretty good seasons here, you know, in your you know, first few in the Bassmaster Elite Series, has that work ethic increased, dwindled? Have you found a balance, or is that still the same way as it's been since you started? I think it's still the same. I actually feel like I don't. I, I feel like I don't work hard enough sometimes. You know, they uh, like you know sometimes when I, I'll come off the water like an hour before dark or thirty minutes before dark, and there's still boat trailers there from. With other elite guys, I feel <laughs> you feel guilty. <laughs> guilty, you know, you know, about not being out there, and it's just I still try to try to work hard. You know, I I know I'm not the the next Kevin Van Dam. I'm, I'm not the best fisherman out there, but so if if I can work just a little bit harder than most of the guys, I feel like I feel like I can I, I gain that that much of advantage over them. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I think it's a trait that is so hard to balance out when, you know, you talk about when you see you're pulling out, right. And you see other trailers there and those guys were there either when you were putting in or before you put in, they're still there and you feel guilty and you're like, man, should I still be out there? But like, that's such a hard thing to balance because there is a, an argument to be said for taking care of yourself and practice not just like, you know, obviously you want to work harder than everyone else, but like at the same point in time, you still need to be mentally, and physically like ready to go come tournament day. Cause if you, if you burn yourself out in practice, you're just not going to be in it come yeah. tournament day. You know, that's, that's exactly. Right. It can, it can get kind of brutal out there. And like, like you just said, if, if you're out there like the second or third day of practice and you know, some of these practice days are, you know, 14, 16 hour days almost. <laughs> I know uh, the, the very the first day at Pickwick, first day of practice at Pickwick, uh, it was like four o'clock that afternoon. I had a headache. Uh, I was hot. I, I felt like I was already dehydrated, and uh, 
it, like I said, it was only like four o'clock and I, I took out and went home. You know, I, I, I know I was the first guy off the water, but uh, I just felt, you know, I could have stayed out there, but mentally I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in it. And I, I felt like I'd just be wasting time. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't want to be out there, I'm probably going to just take You're just not being productive at that point. So, but yeah, it's, uh, you got to be careful. You got to, you know, take care of yourself, like you said. And then, uh, it all it all comes back to you know hearing your mind you know keeping keep mentally focused that's what it's all about out there is making the right decisions and keeping a clear head and uh if you're exhausted you know you're just not doing yourself any good yeah so i, I want to backtrack really fast this is going to come full circle but when you decided i want to go fish the bassmaster opens because this is what i want to do right and you look ahead did you make any adjustments to one, maybe your lifestyle or how you fish or how you approach tournaments with the idea of I'm trying to be a professional bass angler? I, I don't think I changed the way I fish. At least I, I feel like I didn't change. I, I actually fished the opens uh, like five or six years ago. I think it was five years ago. I, I fished them and i really didn't have any business fishing them to be honest uh i really hadn't been nowhere other than around in central alabama and i really didn't have the money to do it i wasn't making that much money at the time but i I just i wanted to try it so that first that first time i tried it uh i was kind of worried about the money side of it the whole time about cashing a check and you know and you can't do that out there fishing against those guys Uh, um i didn't do any good because of all that and uh I think I waited, uh, it's probably four years later, three or four years later, which was two years ago when I fished them again. And, uh, I told myself, you know, I'm not going to worry about trying to cast a check. You know, I'm going to, I just want to win one. And if I, I always told myself if, if I qualified, I'd like to try, I'd like to just fish for a living for one year just to say I did it. You know, I don't want to be a, I don't have this. 50 or 60 years old and and still still saying to to yourself you know i wish i'd tried it one time i just wish i would have tried it so so that's kind of where i was i just i just wanted to try it one time and if i qualified i did if i didn't you know i wouldn't worry about it and i wound up qualifying i was like heck i gotta go for it you know you know my family was pushing me especially my dad you know want me to want me to try it so uh so after last year i finally made it I, I told myself, uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to do this for a long time now. So Yeah. That's awesome. And it, it's kind of cool, though, because then you can almost say that you truly made it on your first true, like, try. The first time you went out there, you're, like, not mentally prepared, not mentally right. But, so then you come back the second time when you were probably in a better monetary position and more mentally focused. And you're like, this is my first true attempt, and you made it. Now, did you fish all three, or did you just fish the Southerns? It was uh that year we fished it. It was kind of weird that the year I qualified, we only had two divisions. Oh, well, right, four tournaments, right? Yeah. yeah, I think they called ours the Eastern. Yeah, we had we had four tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt about that already. <laughs> changes. I feel like it changes like every three years. Yeah, every three to four years. So, how did you like Oneida on that last turn? Because it was the last tournament, right? For that to qualify was Oneida that year. No, Is that right supposed to go to oneida they canceled it mm. because of covid the new york covid deal they wouldn't oh. let us reschedule it to lay late which is like 20 minutes down the road from my house 
Oh, that's right. Is that the one yeah. Keith Carson won? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that was that was actually I I knew when 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 they rescheduled that to lay late, I told myself right then it's like that's gonna be my worst tournament of the year, right? Just because it's my home lake. Yeah. And I was right. That that was my worst tournament, but I but I, I still made it. I think I come in thirty fifth or fortieth. Yeah. So it, good it, for an open, dude. It, it was good. Uh, I found coming in second in the points. Uh, Patrick Walters beat me by like five points. Uh, I finished second, and uh, I think uh, Justin Hamner he qualified there. Uh, I think it was me, Justin. I think Robertson may have qualified there too. So that was that was a bunch of us that, that uh, made it right yeah. there. Later. Yeah, that's the year you won Cherokee. Yeah. Yeah. Do you travel with anybody? Uh, yeah, I travel with uh, Buddy Gross and Joseph Webster. Oh, that's a good crew. <laughs> that's yeah. a good crew. Motley crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like both of them. Buddy's a good dude. We've had him on the show. Uh, we've been trying to get Joe on the show. I spent a week with him down in Florida fishing at Bienville. He's a good, he's a good dude. Uh, I like I like to tease, tease Joe a lot. I uh, I learned who the real Joe was when uh, we were fishing, and he had his active target pan forward, and he had a school of fish. And I was like, what you seeing up there? And he's like, oh, nothing. They're in the back. And then he's just yeah, <laughs> being a joker. But uh, that's a good crew to, like, especially for guys that have been in the sport for a long time and guys that do well around the country. I mean, Joe's leading angler of the year – or not angler of the year, rookie of the year, excuse me, right now. So that's – I mean, yeah. Joe's both- a stick around your parts, isn't he? Yeah, he lives in North Alabama, not a couple hours from me. But uh, they're 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 both good guys. They're <clears throat> both of them's been pretty much doing it for a long time, you know. So right. I'm always bouncing stuff off them and letting it, you know, trying to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And so uh, it's it's been it's been good traveling with those two. Heck yeah, that's a really good crew. Well, dude, one year so you qualify right, and you make that right adjustment. You you finally have accomplished your goal of getting there but you know now you're at the big dance right you're and you obviously want to stay in there you want to prove that you know you're not just the one and done right did you make any adjustments when you got to that big league in terms of because obviously you won rookie of the year so you did something right so what kind of adjustments what kind of balance did you find to you know be consistently successful throughout your season you know i think the biggest probably the biggest change that i did was uh and i did this last year and i think i've kind of gotten away from it this year but it's just fish the day or just fish what's in front of me i i was afraid when i when i first joined the elites that i still had that mentality of, of like fishing one day tournaments you know and practicing for one day tournaments and not and practicing is a big deal uh i really didn't realize it and probably till sometime last year about how important the but, but it's kind of hard to explain the, the way the way a guy goes about practicing for three days and trying to uh look and find areas or, or fish that the last four days right a lot of the a lot of the lakes the place that we go to they're so they're so big you you cannot you can't look at them in three days. You, you, I, I try I, I try to you know look at the history, watch the old videos, you know, see what productive areas are, and and try to spend those my three days of practice, two and a half or three days, uh, just looking at maybe 
four different areas or even just three different areas. If, if I, I know a couple of tournaments like last year and one this year in particular that I had a, you know, I didn't do good in I, some of my worst finishes. I tried to, I tried to make the lake too big. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to look, look at the whole lake and I was trying to find everything and, I'd go to the upper end of a lake. I'd start idling around. I, I think I'd have to find like every little thing in that area. Then I'd move, and you just can't do that. Uh, you have to spend time, you know, with baiting with a bait in the water. Right. Uh, just you know, I think the way I, I some of my best tournaments in my mind, I've made the I made the lake small. I picked out one two one or two areas, and within. Really, by the end of the second day of practice, I want to know exactly the area that I'm going to fish. Usually, if I don't if I don't know that by the end of the second day, usually it doesn't turn out too good. I don't know why, but uh, if I'm having a scramble around on the last day of practice, trying to find look at a brand new area, it seems like it, I always you know yeah. wind towards the bottom of the list in the standings at the at the end of the tournament. So, hmm. just not just you know just trying not to make these these places too big. Is stretch yourself out. I, they're best, right? So, like, the whole motive here is to try and simplify everything that we can to be able to put more fish in the boat. So, when you break it down, I guess, like, a, an extension of the question here is when you break it down and you're taking little areas, are you making like a milk run? Are you more of like a soaker? Like, do you sit there and really like draw the fish out, and then you know you have all these other areas. So, like, Take us through like your practice and then into a tournament, how you kind of break that all down. So you, I, when you walk into it, I, I don't, I'm not a sitter. Uh, I usually don't like sitting on one or two places all day. Yeah. Or, or just, a, or just trolling around a little small area. Uh, I don't like doing that, but some of my best tournaments has been done doing that. Uh, I like to move around a lot. But you know, again, going going to these lakes that, that I really don't know. It's not like here at home. I can run fifty or sixty brush piles, and I know exactly which ones to run at you know at what time. Uh, again, if, if if I can hone in on on an area of a lake, I'll spend like that last day of practice trying to find everything in that area. I'll, I'll, there's, there's a lot of times that uh, I in a in a 12 hour practice day i might spend nine of those hours behind the wheel of my of my boat you know just graphing and looking so so I, so so that i can kind of bump around and move around within an area but but try not to run the whole lake like i said you know yeah i, I definitely i like to move around but there there is times like at lake fork this year it is a pretty much a one spot deal and uh i really didn't even find it till the second day of the tournament but uh, but there's it's it's kind of a you got to know when to when to slow down and and milk a, milk a place and and know when to you know get up and move on you know. Yeah. How long do you usually give it? Like on an area when you know it's just like either you don't think it's happening, and you just pick up and go. How long do you usually give that? It's it's kind of hard to say. You know, if I'm if I started out in a in an area and I haven't got got what I think I need by. 10 o'clock i'm usually done I'll, I'll start i'll start moving around jumping around trying different stuff uh, usually i try to have in my head before before we even get started you know what what it's going what, what it takes to get a, a check a top feature top 47 
I'll have that. And then I'll, then I'll say, you know, what's it going to take to, to make a top 10? And yeah, use that. I usually just look at the history, then, you know, the results of the tournaments. So I'll have that in, in my mind, you know, and so by the, you know, 11 o'clock on that first day, I don't have half of what I think I need to, to make that first cut. I'm going to start moving around. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how guys, that you hear the guys that like will sit on one particular spot for three hours and they're like, they're going to go and they're going to go for 15 minutes, but I'm going to sit here and wait for them to go. That thought petrifies me because it's like, what if they don't go and I'm screwed? Like it's, I don't know. I have, you know, a lot of respect to the guys that could do that and do respect, like do it consistently and do it well. I can't do it. We have a, we have a really good question here in the comments uh, from actually a buddy of ours, Alex Coral. He's a local hammer up here in New York. I think he's one is the last three Empire team trail events that he's fished. Like, and that's our biggest team trail of like tour in New York. He's insane. <laughs> yeah. So this Just question is, shout this is, out. Yeah. This question's really good. And it goes back to your late, late comment, right? Of, you know, it's your home lake. It's probably the one you're going to do the worst in. I mean, that's what you said. And so it's kind of goes at that question or at that comment. Uh, and he said, beyond building confidence, do you feel that local events help or hurt your ability to fish on unfamiliar lakes? And then to follow up on that, do you find that you had to relearn to practice on a fresh slate? I think you definitely need to relearn uh, fishing. Fishing your local lake, you know, you get, you get just get tied up into just fishing history. And then you got what, what happens is, and a lot of times you still catch catch fish, you know, just fishing history. Like like I, I did okay in the tournament, but but you got these guys that don't know the lake that that was in the in the opens from you know a lot of them that, that was their first time there, and they 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 look at a lake like that so much differently than I would. Uh, they they keep their they keep a real open mind and uh, like we keep the area that Keith Carson won. That that would probably be the last place if you'd asked me where you could. <laughs> I'd probably yeah. say here, right there, you probably will not ever win, and that's where you want it. You know, always works that way. It's just, it's weird how it works like that. that local, so you know, sometimes local advantage helps. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. That was actually a, a really tough tournament, and uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of whole lot of fish caught. It was a, it was a definitely a low weight tournament, but, but for somebody you know, like him, just look to look at a place, a different a lake with an open mind and fishing, fishing differently. It's, that's, that's where it, where it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely find that it helps some people, but then some people like they're absolute, you know, kryptonite. Like if it's a local tournament, like a local trail, they're basically going to win that or guaranteed to top three. But then if it's like a bigger event that comes to their home lake and they got the eyes on me, you heard Lee Livesey talking about at Lake Fork, how much, like how he hated, going back to Lake Fork because all the eyes on him, all that pressure and anxiety. Uh, granted, he can, he's just a badass and he can handle it, but there's people that crumble under that. Like that's, that's, mm-hmm. it can be tough, but you made a good point though. It was like, you have all that history there where you've done good for so long. And then in typical fashion for the opens or an elite series event, you get weather that that place has never seen in 30 years. So it changes the whole place. So you're like, you, question your brain why you're not catching fish in the spot that you caught fish your whole life and then the place that you're like is garbage 
that's where it gets won. And it always seems to work out. <laughs> you hear that story a lot, I feel like. It happens know, a few times a year. I know talking to Lee after that tournament, he was uh, he was saying that, you know, the whole three days of practice at Lake Fork this year, he you know, he had people following following in and just in practice, you know. So I'm sure he didn't even look at nothing that places that he thought he was going to be able to win the tournament on. He didn't even go to them. He spent his whole practice looking at what he called junk, you know, just stuff that he normally ne- never fishes. And uh, he said that, that junk turned to gold. He, he, he wound up catching his fish off places he never would have thought that, could have, you know, won a tournament. But that comes back to he, you know, he kept a real open mind and, and was, was fishing stuff that kind of, you know, he, he thought he wasn't supposed to be fishing. And he went right. and went, you know, doing good on it. So, yeah, when I was watching live, I think on like day one, he was like, Now, here's a spot I haven't fished in like six years, but if they're here, it's going to be a big one. And I set the hook and it was like a six or seven pounder. I'm like, Oh, he's like, There's all kinds of them. I'm like, Oh, geez. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's just insane. That home light stuff, it, it can be weird. It can be good and it can be real bad. So. Yeah, but honestly, though, when you think about it, that was an absolute genius practice strategy because i remember him saying it and he's like i can't just sit around and not practice you know it's an elite series event you know it's 100 grand on the line i need to at least doing something right and when you're that prevalent on that lake you know one of the biggest names you know lake wise in the country you're obviously going to get followed you know there's going to be like you'd mentioned there's going to be people whether they're on the elite series or not they're going to follow you so like Go it because, like, if you go and you run stuff, like you mentioned, that stuff that he thinks is garbage or that he never runs or hasn't run before. The worst case scenario is you find new stuff because you know that your good stuff's probably going to pan out. That's a genius practice strategy. I, I don't think he planned it that way, which I, but, I know, but he should. Oh, make it sure sounds sound good, way, though. <laughs> he should make himself sound way smarter than he did. <laughs> Makes it sound like a genius. Yeah, that's yeah, what he should roll with, though. <laughs> it is though it really is genius um so with that you know talking about you know when you fish local a lot there's guys that become really really good locally that are like staple names you hear every single weekend either winning or top three then you get but you get in this mindset where you're fishing the same way locally you're not adjusting too much when that person say wants to make a jump to fish the opens or, you know, qualifies for the elite series. And they're going to be going to areas, say like, you know, yourself go into St. Lawrence river, which you did not have a lot of experience in, you know, prior to the elites, you know, like it's how advantageous is it to try to purposely gain experience in different regions prior to making that jump to the elite series or the BPT. For, for me personally, I think, really boils down to and I get asked this all the time what's your fishing strength and I don't I never really know what to say uh, I know there's there's certain technique whatever you want to call it of, of how I like to catch them but you know I, I don't really have a, a strength uh, I, I tell people sometimes when they ask me that just fishing offshore in general I like fishing offshore but uh but I think for me, the reason I did good in the opens and having decent success here in the elites is is not having 
a certain way I like to fish. I, I don't I don't want to go to a place and say that, all right, this is how I'm going to catch them, or I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to catch them like this, or I'm not going to catch them at all. You know, uh, I, I like whether it's throwing a spin rod and a Ned rig or throwing a a nine inch glide bait, you know, uh, if they're, if they're biting it, that's my favorite way to fish, you know, whatever they're biting. Uh, it it doesn't bother me to have eight spinning rods out on the deck or, or, or none, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like when we went up North last year, uh, that was my first trip up North. Um, and I, I felt, you know, it had grass, it had, you know, rocks and fish deep, fish shallow. So I felt right at home, you know, it's the way I fish here. I'll bump, I'll bump around from shallow to deep, you know, three times within a matter of two hours, you know. So, I, you know, it's just the way I fish, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really sit down on one. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a spinnerbait all day and I'm either going to catch them or I'm not. I don't, I don't like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll have 10 or 12 rods out on the deck and some of it might be rigged up to fish 20 feet of water and the, re- the other side of the deck is all for less than two feet of water. And I'll do it back and forth all day during the tournament, you know? Yeah. So just whatever I can, I feel like I can get a groove or, you know, get some uh, momentum going, whether it's shallow or deep, I would, I'll just, I'll just run it all, you know, until I, until I feel, feel good about something. Now, now let me ask you this one in like particulars when it comes to shallow and deep what is like the first rod you pick up when you're in shallow water and the first rod you'll grab when you go deep because everybody has those two confidence things if you don't mind sharing what would that be for you we're gonna have a couple of bait questions here because alex yeah. has another good one in the yeah. chat it, it, again that's so hard it's like it's like asking <laughs> What's my strength again? Yeah. Well, it's not really uh, a strength. It's just like you you bend over. What is that first rod and reel that you gravitate to grab? Like you pull up into a shallow bank. You have maybe like some willow grass or the Alabama grass right down there in Alabama. And you're like, oh, I'm going to catch them on this. Like you grab it and you go, not even thinking. Well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to lie detector test you as well, just yeah. in case. <laughs> It's definitely going to be a swim jig. Everybody thinks it's because I'm from Alabama that all all I do all we do is swim a jig. I told I told a buddy the other day that uh, if I had to rely on catching fish on a swim jig for the rest of my life, I'd probably never weigh in a limit. Uh, I just I, I I never got into the whole jig swimming thing. I, I do it sometimes, but my if, if my first thing that I pick up if I'm fishing shallow is going to be a chatterbait. 100 percent uh and and that's and that's you know I, I throw it out deep sometimes so you throw it over brush piles but probably my best confidence <laughs> chatterbait up shallow out deep it's probably going to be well it's hard some kind of swim bait some you know whether it's on a jig head or a, like a black hollow belly we're we talking like a small little paddle tail no I'm, you know like a five inch, like a five inch swim bait okay I dig that. Yeah, You're talking that's, up that's my alley funny. right now. <laughs> yeah. Or or you could uh, you could take that heavy chatterbait and throw the five inch swim bait on. Now you got double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of fish out deep on chatterbait. I love me. Bailey's like melting on the bait. inside right now. Like stop, <laughs> <laughs> stop blocking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's a really good question here from Alex Coral, and it's gonna it's gonna kind of dig deeper into the question Andy asked. 
but he mentioned, are there any particular baits that you that have become staples for you after fishing the opens? Did these uh, baits change from before you fished the opens? So, like, I, I think what he's trying to get at is, like, in the opens, when you're you're chasing consistency to qualify, was there some things that were on your deck more often than others? I'd probably say, and I think a lot of people would probably say this too, but a drop shot, I I bet before I fished the opens, I, I, I could count on my hands and toes how many fish I ever caught on a drop shot in my life. <laughs> and now... Especially, especially last year and this year, I, I keep a drop shot tied on all the time. Yeah, all the time. And uh, you know, I, I hear you know you hear hear guys and different pros talk about you know the same thing about about just pick up a drop shot or a shaky head or whatever. And and I swear, uh, seems like everywhere I go, I wind up with some kind of a spin rod or a wacky. I think that bag is probably, probably going to be a, a wacky rig. Uh, things like every tournament we've been to this year, you know, yeah, I can ride up and down the lake, and just about every angler I see is holding a, a spinner rod with a dang wacky rig on it. I don't That's know like why the one that dang thing just always gets bit. No matter what's going on, no matter what pressure, they eat the dang five-inch stick bait. It yeah. drives one, me nuts. Yeah. Dude, it's the one bait that like is the most popular that fish don't huh. get like used to see yeah let's start on there it's the great equalizer all right because anybody can catch a fish on a five inch stick bait it's like Rick, <laughs> it's like rick clun saying about current right current's a negating factor well a wacky rig is your negating factor as well <laughs> yeah. hey, I, I take back what i said about the drop probably definitely gonna be a, a wacky rig sinko and i tell you what just uh just nico rig you know sticking a nail weight in it uh, <laughs> Every everywhere everywhere we've ever been last year and this year, I have caught fish on a Nico rig stick bait everywhere, and what and weighed a lot of fish in doing it. Okay, so this is one I'm I'm really playing around with heavy because I love throwing a Nico. Like the past two years, I've been throwing a heavy. What is your what's your setup for a Nico? Like rod, reel, line, hook, the whole shebang. Uh, I like a set. I've always been a seven foot. Uh, rod length guy on a spinning reel uh, or spinning rod, but uh, I'm using a, a seven foot. This is the Lou Signature Series. I call it just the all-purpose seven foot rod. Uh, the 300 size Lou's Hyper Mag reel. Okay. I always throw 12 pound braided line. I've got all kinds of different different brands, but 12 pound braided line to uh, either eight or 10 pound fluorocarbon leader. My favorite hook. And I was using this hook before I even went pro. Uh, is the that owner sniper Nico hook, the, the weedless sniper hook? Usually a one off, one or two off. I, I actually throw a little bit bigger hook than most people do, I think. But uh, I even use like I had a late fork. I was throwing the using a uh, the three off weedless sniper hook. And any five inch stick bait you can think of, it don't matter. Uh, just put a nail weight in the end of it and start throwing it. I know you're a Strike King guy. Have you? Do you throw the Ocho much? I do. Nico. Yep. It's got to probably have an interesting uh, wobble with it being like that little octagon shape. I don't know if the octagon shape makes much of a difference or not. Uh, I like the Ocho, especially a, a weighted Ocho, uh, just because the, the plastic's a little bit tougher than like a Yamamoto. But I mean, you know, 
one every, and a half fish. <laughs> yeah, every five, every five inch stick bait when it gets bit, Texas rig is done after one fish. Usually, <laughs> like you don't have to lie about it; it just happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it comes up and it's like wacky rigged on your hook, and you're like, "How the hell yeah. did this happen?" <laughs> Yeah. It, it there's no way around it. They all tear. I don't care how much salt or like it, stability stuff you can throw in it. They're all gonna tear. <laughs> I can see that Ocho being more durable though. It's a good bait, Bailey. Ocho's a little bit more durable. Yeah, dude. I'm so happy you said that owner sniper finesse hook because that is my favorite dang hook now. <laughs> That's such a good hook. It's good. It's not it's not. You know, some of these Nico hooks are they're just super light wire and like, mm-hmm. you know, especially catching big smallmouth, you know, make those hard runs right at the boat. And I'm not really I don't I'm not I'm I'm not like a reel up and pull into them guy. I kinda reel up and set the hook on them, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really finesse them a whole lot. So I that, that sniper hook's a little bit thicker diameter than, than most of your finesse hooks. That's, that's one of the reasons I like it. As long as it's sharp, it's, it's going to penetrate just as good as a light wire or anything. So. Oh, that owner sniper finesse will make your hands bleed when you're rigging up. That thing is so dang sharp. But it's funny you say that about you hitting them with a spinning rod. One thing I've noticed is, like, if you're from the north, we like to ease into our fish a little bit. But, like, you boys from the south, I don't care if it's eight-pound <laughs> test. You crack them suckers. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, and you're not breaking off. And I'm like, huh. Maybe I don't need to be that easy on these fish. <laughs> it opens your eyes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not a real, real enough on them kind of guy. I like, I like setting the hook. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. you're the St. Lawrence River with like six pound of fluorocarbon, then you might regret swinging. On them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so, yeah. not to dive too deep into St. Lawrence River because I know I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble here, but. Uh, I feel like you guys from your area with that, you guys have the TVA so close to you adjust well to St. Lawrence river, just from one, a graphing standpoint, but two, also just how to approach moving water. Yeah. You know, I, I also get that a lot too. Everybody thinks I, I, I'm a TVA guru. I never, I never hardly even fished the TVA until I, oh. uh, matter of fact, last year we, when we went to Pickwick was my very first time to Pickwick. Holy crap. Hmm. I've always kind of stayed like from Birmingham south. Uh, so like River. a Jordan River type guy, Alabama River. Alabama River, uh, Lake Martin, Lake Yee. I spend a lot of time on Lake Eufaula. Uh But I think, you know, just this area, central Alabama, north Alabama, you got so much, you know, so much diversity on these lakes. You got Smith Lake, you know, these, these super deep. Super clear water lakes, uh, spotted bass, and you get the TVA, which is a whole different animal. Uh, the Coosa Rivers, all these lakes are just so, so different. And uh, to be able to compete in these team trails that go to all of them, uh, you got to be pretty, uh, pretty keen on <laughs> being d- diversified, you know. And it's just, I think that's the biggest thing, you, the biggest reason you see so many guys from the, maybe from the southeast. GoPro just because you get so much so much diversity down here. These guys grow up, you know, as kids fishing all these different lakes, and uh, that 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 means a lot. I think what's pretty crazy, and I think what helps you guys, uh, and I've only speaking from limited experience, more from limited experience, but also seeing you know the terms you guys fish in the crazy weather. But 
Like anytime you guys get somewhat of a heavy rain, I feel like it screws up the entire fishery and changes things up, throws you guys curveballs. Like, is that just something that's natural for you guys growing up down there? Like, like you follow, like I was there one day and it had a monster storm and it like changed the entire lake. Uh, lake you follow is the muddiest water I've ever seen in my life. And it can happen within a 24 hour period. But, uh, these, especially on the, on, on the Coosa river, uh, it, it can change. Oh, last year at uh, Neely Henry, I don't know if y'all, y'all remember or not, that uh, oh yeah, they canceled the first day. Might have canceled the second day like they did at Pick Week, but water was normal, kind of, you know, decently clean, which is well, clean on the Coosa River is kind of still dirty. But uh, <laughs> it was, everything was normal, and 48 hours later, it was four foot, four or five foot flooded out of the banks and just rolling chocolate milk. And, uh, of course, we didn't get to practice, you know, none of that. So the first day of the tournament, it was just like we're on a brand new lake. You know, everything changed. And that happened a lot last year. Uh, It happened at Pickwick. You know, I think they canceled the first two days at Pickwick. yeah. It was like the great weather year last year. Like every event was like a deluge of rain or something. (laughs) It was crazy. Last year was crazy. Almost, Almost every tournament had some kind of major weather phenomenon just whether it just dropped off freezing cold or a flood or something but it was didn't crazy Pickwick rise like 10 feet what's that didn't pickwick rise like eight or ten feet six it come up six. six feet in like 24 hours and then i think fort Loudon in knoxville it snowed one day yeah like <laughs> it's just like 70 74 degrees all like practice a, all of practice in the, the i think the first day of the tournament it was sleeping and snowing Crazy. I we remember. Just, sorry, go ahead. Well, I think we all we have to do is just show up somewhere and pretty much expect something crazy to happen. Yeah, they get consistent weather for three months until you guys show up, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. <laughs> but no, when we were talking about Neely Henry. I remember uh, West Logan saying how he would have to watch the different water levels because, like, sometimes the southern end would be higher than the northern end and that would mean some of his grass is submerged and he could only catch them on exposed grass like i remember him saying something along the lines of that i remember that being the craziest thing and being like we have it so good up in the north because our water does not change <laughs> yeah neely neely was crazy and as go back to what we we're talking about earlier you know that home home field advantage played it played right in his hands on that right tournament. yeah it, Grew up on on that on that lake, and they knew exactly what to do when that happened. You know, he's uh, like, I've seen this a hundred and seven times. Like <laughs> first time there when it when it when, you know when it flooded like that. Mm. But that lake is weird. There's a, there's a choke down area about halfway down the lake. The lake gets real narrow. So when a flood happens, uh, the upper upper side of the lake will be like three feet out of the banks. And down the lower end of the lake, down by the dam, it'd be three foot low. So it's, that's insane. It's it's pretty crazy. Driving <laughs> downhill, what? going down the lake. Yeah, <laughs> say, like when you get to that choke point, does it get like white watery, like rapid, like, no, as it, you're dropped, like descending that three foot? Like how how does that like just, mechanics yeah. of water work? <laughs> it gets real strong. The, the current gets real nah. strong. They actually call it Minnesota Bends. It's a real narrow place, and it makes a turn and a big bluff. But it just chokes down right there, and they're 
on the lower end of the dam, they're pulling so much water that they'll actually suck the water out of the lower end. Would be like you see bare banks where it used to be water. They'll be sucking it so hard down there that it'd be low, and on the upper end, it'd be flooded up in people's yards. Holy crap. Whew. That's crazy. <laughs> Good grief. I mean, so you probably get excited then to go north just so you don't have to deal with all that. You're like, oh, if it's going to rain, then nothing's going to happen. <laughs> I, I like clear water up there. Uh, I've always liked clear water. Uh, you know, most guys down here, especially in the springtime, everybody, they go find the dirtiest water that they can find. That's usually the, the you know, typically the way to do it, you know. And uh, I, I'm almost the opposite. I always like trying try to find the clearest water I can find. I like clear water, so uh, I think that's why I like it up north a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with it, you know, when I went to Champlain. Uh, like I said earlier, you can go fish grass, you can go fish boulders in 30 feet of water, and you can just do everything, you know, you just bump yeah. around. So that's yeah. I, I like that. I do have a Champlain question for you. Coming from the south and fishing Champlain, what was the fishing difference like from the sheer fish numbers, like count numbers wise, your first day of practice? Like, you're like, oh gosh, this is so easy. Why am I getting bit so much that I stopped catching them? Like, is that what happened to you? It is. It's, it's a different world. Y'all got so made up there. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I could find a place to live up there for like four months out of the year, but. In the winter time, I'm out. I'm not, I don't. I don't. I'm not doing the the ice fishing in the snow, and I'd rather be back down here. But, but yeah, definitely my very first time up to Champlain last year. Uh, by the end of the day, on that first day, I was like, "This is this is paradise." You know, <laughs> catch fish where you, go. you can literally go catch a fish that you can see swimming down the bank. Then the very next place, you can go drop a drop shot on a boater in thirty feet. You know, and just it's just so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting place because like there's fish absolutely everywhere on that lake, but you can be around fish everywhere, but you're not on like good fish. Yeah, three pounders are not good fish. Uh, I think <laughs> was there like that. 17 pounds missed the cut last year. <laughs> yeah, I had 18 both days, and I, I, I missed the cut. Oh you're my like, god! You're like 16 a day back home right now. It would give me like 14th or. <laughs> The top yeah. ten. <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day about north, and I was like, even if you have a bad tournament, you always have fun fishing. Yeah, you always uh, catch them. Like, this <laughs> is a great time. <laughs> when we, when I left Champlain, I was, I was, I was still almost kind of fired up, you know, even though I didn't even get a check. I was like, man, that, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> can I go back out? <laughs> You're like, if I didn't make the cut, can I just stay out for the rest of the evening? Can I just keep fishing? Yeah, it's the north is yeah. We could talk about the north for hours, but dude, what's uh? How do you feel about going to Oahe this year? Man, you know I haven't even thought about it much. Uh, I wish I could have. There's a lot of guys when we when we got done with St. Lawrence last year. There was probably a dozen or so guys that went straight over there and in, in pre practice. I, I didn't get. I actually had to go down to ICAST and uh, do do that deal, but I haven't watched any of the videos i haven't even looked at the look at a map of the lake yet so all, all i've heard is this small mouth and that's it so that'll be an interesting one just because that place that place is so i mean you talk about earlier talking about spreading yourself out like because of, you know the, the lakes you go are so big that mm-hmm. is one that would probably be pretty easy to do that <laughs> yeah it looked look pretty big 
what, yeah. what I look. Oh. I'm actually not too worried about it. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about probably lacrosse than anything. Uh, Why's that? Just, I don't know. It just seems like it's real. Just a lot of different little bodies of water, little little cuts and canals and minefields uh, with stumps were unmarked. Always, yeah. That about people, everybody getting stuck up there on sandbars and not making way ins. And uh, I just don't. I've never liked places like that, but. Yeah. Very intriguing. Hmm. Well, dude, we are uh we're pumped to watch you for the rest of the season. Are you gonna be at iCast again this year? I more than likely, yeah. Okay. I'll get I'll give you a shout because I'll be there. We'll have to uh get a drink during happy hour when they have it one of those days. But uh I'll come I'll come by and find you. I'll be there. All right. Well, dude, for real, we're we're excited to watch you and cheer you on through the, the rest of the season and uh, hope you uh, are as psyched to leave, you know, these northern fisheries as you were. You said you were for Champlain. And hopefully it turns out this time you actually, you know, are psyched to leave, like, and have a check with you this time. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. Heck yeah. But, dude, for real, thanks for taking the time out tonight yeah, to join us. It's you. good to get you on here. And hopefully we'll get you back on here again here soon. Let's do it. I appreciate y'all. Yeah, thanks, Heck Josh. Yeah. Yeah, All right, Josh. Night. We'll be in touch. Oh man, you know what we forgot? What? We forgot three to dinner. Oh, bring him back in real fast. Oh, uh, yeah, he already, he already exited out. We'll, we'll get him on again. We'll yeah. have to get him on. It's wow. Too. Jeez. The first time we've gotten somebody new on, we forgot to ask him. I our, know. Like, I, I like just thought, some, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh. It's like, I feel like, Whoopsie. yeah, I said, have a good night. And I'm like, I think I'm forgetting something. That's the first time we've ever forgotten that question. I feel like it's been five yeah. years since we've had uh, somebody new on the show. I'm going to blame Joe LaBarbera because he actually popped in and asked some questions tonight. So it's all Joe's fault. It's always Joe's fault. <laughs> Alabaster's lacrosse eats props and lower units for breakfast. <laughs> so is uh, is he calling props and lower units Wheaties? Like, that is the question. Yes, I imagine that is what it's getting at. Wheaties. The boat Wheaties for the lake. Yeah. Well, dude, that was a fun show. I, I really yeah. want to get Josh back on here because I think there's a lot of other topics that we can really dive into uh, with him. But, uh, dude, I got to get to bed here because tomorrow I'm flying out for three days to Lanier. And then as soon as I get home, I'm going to fly home. And I'm going to get home at midnight. Like, land my, my flight lands at, like, 12.05 Friday night, so, like, technically Saturday. And then I'm driving home. I packed up the truck today, but throwing the kayak in the back running to go fish a tournament at Oneida Saturday. And then I'm going to be on Champlain Sunday till next Saturday. So it's going to be interesting, but we're going to try to do podcast next week. I'm going to try to do them from the hotel. You should get Joey Webster on next week. We should do that. Boy. Does he, is yeah. he going to be up there with you? No, we'll have, we'll have Hunter. We'll have Hunter Keith Poche, who we want need to do a show with soon. He said he'd do one. Uh, we'll have Adrian Avina. We got to get Adrian too. Adrian's a good dude. Uh, we'll have Alex Redwine, which we've had Alex on before. And then we have Justin Atkins. Justin Atkins will be up there with us. Oh, nice. So we'll have a good crew. It'll be a fun crew. I should just corner them all into doing a show at the same time. Yeah, that would be cool. And just talk about Champlain. You know, I th- we might have a poker night. We could turn it into a podcast. A podcast poker night? <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll force Brad Rutherford and all the Pure Fishing crew to be involved, too. We'll take questions. That'd be like a 12 panel. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. 
now we'll have to set something up soon with all those guys and we'll get to we'll get shows figured out for you guys uh for next week but uh for this friday show we have a top water episode that andy and i actually filmed uh we're gonna talk everything hard bait treble hook top water so we're not gonna talk frogs or buzz baits we're gonna have separate shows going into those but just straight up treble hook top waters um and that's what we talked about for probably almost an hour you know, where we, where we throw them, why we throw them, why we throw them over other stuff, uh, colors, you know, trail hooks that we swap out to, setups, the whole shebang. So look forward to that on Friday. That'll be obviously on uh, the MP3, but also on the YouTube if you guys want to watch and, like, see the stuff we're going through. Uh, but if you are listening on MP3, we do appreciate if you could leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Highly appreciate it. Um, Andy, anything for the folks you need to know before we tune out here tonight? Um, my boat's possibly for sale. So if anybody wants to buy, <laughs> buy <a> my boat, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. Uh, not a done deal yet, but we've got some things in the works on that end where might Can be a new boat coming. It? Uh, Can you tell know. folks what it might be? Uh, I don't know if I want to, because if it it's doesn't come... Like, if it doesn't happen, then I kind of feel like a jerk because I'm like, oh, I'm buying this boat. But just kidding. I'm not buying it. I don't want to be that guy. It's it's That's why it's not, like, listed for sale. It's, like, kind of for sale. Just kind of gauging yeah. the market to see what's There's been some fun there. marinas that have been telling you, yeah, we'll get you this sick deal. And it's, by the way, there is no <laughs> sick deal. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to pay 20 grand more than a good deal? Like, yeah. See ya. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah, it's um the the used <laughs> and new boat market right now is absolutely atrocious. Like new boat prices every three months seem to be going up 125 to 175 percent, and the used boat market is essentially following. Like you can't like find, trucks. yeah, like you can't find like. If I wanted to go out and buy a used boat right now, a 2012 Nitro Z9, I'm going to pay almost 40 grand for it loaded, which is absurd. That boat yeah. brand new in 2012 was 40 grand. Like, it's um, it's insane. Uh, and then Real Hook set outdoors here says it better come with smallmouth tackle. I'll throw this out there. If somebody on here buys my boat, I will just give them a guide trip in my next boat. Like, that's that's where I'm getting at with this. All right. Like, and a pack what? of flatworms. Yes, and a pack of flatworms. There we go. Because <laughs> there's only like 700 of them in my basement right now. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, folks, for guys that are still tuning in, one, we appreciate you. But two, make sure you guys go follow Josh Strasner on Instagram. His social media is linked below. Go help him out. Grow his social media because we all know how important that is to the pros and their lifestyle. And uh, because we all know the business side is almost more important than actually catching fish these days, it seems. Uh, yeah. That also being said, talking about business here, uh, if you have not seen, we recently have partnered uh, with X2 Power. They are now powering the podcast. They're our title sponsor. And if you guys want to save 40 bucks on an AGM or lithium battery, you can use code Sirius40 at X2Power.com. That's all linked down below. If you guys want to save money on a premium battery, you know, powering option, it's obviously saving money on that stuff is huge. So just side note to tell you how good these batteries really are. I've been running them since what, basically like the beginning of April. I think I put them in my boat mid April and um, 
I sit on spot lock in three foot waves like two weeks ago for about seven and a half hours straight. And I don't have the biggest three bank charger in my boat. And they charged in about three and a half hours because they were only drawn down about 25% on my ghost. Like they are incredible. My last batteries that I had in there were uh, also AGMs, but 27 bank. And they would take about nine to 10 hours for them to charge. So like if I got my boat on the charger late, there was a chance that they wouldn't be fully charged the next day. So that is the honest opinion and truth about them. They're incredible. You'll never have battery issues again. And if you do, we'll figure it out. It's probably probably not the battery. (laughs) That's what's pretty cool. Really quick. I mean, we're not trying to do straight up uh, sponsor plugs right now, but if you, for some reason have issues with your battery, I have never met a better team that like gets it replaced like that. Basically no questions asked, but the warranty is amazing on it. You guys will not regret it. Use that code if it's going to help you out, especially if you're in the market for new batteries. Um, but, yeah, we have a whole bunch of discount codes down below that can save you guys money on some badass products, some of the best in the industry. So if you guys want to go check them out, they're below in every show description, whether MP3 or YouTube. But, Andy, I think that's going to do it for tonight. We'll see safe you, folks. travels. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you, folks, on Friday. <laughs> Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.